And we've defined evangelism this way. Evangelism is the process of giving the good news of Jesus Christ to others. In a nutshell, that's what evangelism is, the process of giving the good news of Jesus Christ to other people. Now, why is it called evangelism? We saw that it's called that because the word in your New Testament, Greek word, that's translated gospel is euangelion. And it's a compound of two Greek words. Angelion, we get our English word angel from it, angel. And it means messenger. And when you put the prefix you on anything, even in English, it means good or happy. So a eulogy or a euphemism. And so euangelion means happy or good message, good news. And so that's why we call the gospel the good news. And so evangelism comes from that word euangelion. And the person then who is an evangelist is somebody who engages in that process of evangelism, giving the good news of Jesus Christ to other people. The evangel, if you just uh, bring it down to its root, the evangel then is the message. It is the, the content. It is the message of Jesus Christ. So evangelism, the process of giving the good news of Jesus Christ to others. An evangelist is somebody who does that. The evangel is the message that they, they give, the gospel. Now, why does that matter for you and me? And why have we taken these many weeks to look at evangelism for, for us? Well, because the Bible teaches that if we have come to Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are those evangels, uh, or excuse me, those evangelists. And the Bible uses a number of terms to describe us, uh, one of which is we are Christ's ambassadors. So the Bible tells us that we are ambassadors, having been sent out by our king into, as it were, a foreign land to herald his message, his good news. And so it's extremely important that we understand what it is, that we understand the content of the message and how to go about then reaching the people that God brings into our circle of influence to be his witnesses. Jesus' final words to his first followers before he went back to heaven were these, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I am with you always, even unto the end of the age, Jesus says. So here are my final instructions to you and those who will come after you. Make disciples who will follow me in obedience and baptism and you teach them to observe everything that I've told you. That's our mission. Our title is ambassador. We are his evangelists then giving the good news to those that he brings into our circle of influence. So that's why it's important then for us to take time to look at what that process is and our role within it. But the title of the series has been evangelism for the faint hearted. Why the faint hearted? Because there's good reason to believe that you're scared to do this. And I'm scared to do this. Now, it may not, you may not think that a preacher is scared to do this, but the truth is we're really brave when we're just standing up here yapping. But when you get in a one-on-one, -on -one, you get in a crowd, you get in with a situation with people who you have reason to believe may not be so receptive to what you have to say, then I have fear just like anybody else. And so there's reason to believe that we're scared to do this. One, from our own experience. I know it from my experience. I know it from talking to others. Further, the Bible indicates that the ambassadors that Jesus has sent out into his world are often fearful to carry out this mission. 
None other than Paul himself, the, the great apostle, was afraid to go in, in, into certain towns and cities to give the message of Jesus. In Acts chapter 18 in your Bible, Paul was fearful to go to a, a city called Corinth. So much so that the Lord appeared to him to buck up his courage. And the Lord said to Paul in Acts chapter 18 and verse 10, Paul, do not be afraid. Well, why is he having to tell Paul not to be afraid? Because Paul was afraid. And he said, do not be afraid. Go and preach. Go and proclaim my message. And then the Lord says this, because I have many people in that city. And so the Lord is telling him there are people in this large city of Corinth that are going to respond positively to the message. Despite all the negativity and all the other harassment you may you may and will get, there are going to be people who are going to respond and come to me as a result of your ministry. So, Paul, do not fear. Go and speak further. Paul often asked the churches that he had helped found and to whom he had written letters that are the many of the books of your New Testament. He would often ask them in those letters to pray for him that he would declare the message fearlessly as he should. Why did he want that prayer? Because there were times where even the Apostle Paul was, was afraid, intimidated, faint hearted. And that's the case with you. And that's the case with me. If we're honest about it, evangelism, then for the faint hearted, the process of giving the good news of Jesus Christ to others. But it's one that we need to be emboldened to do. Well, how are we emboldened then to do that? Well, we're emboldened to do it when we recognize a few things that we've looked at over these last few weeks. One is you don't do this by yourself. That you are in this together with your brothers and sisters in, in the Lord's work. God has not called us to be lone rangers in his work. And so you have your circle and network of people that the Lord is calling you to attempt to reach with the gospel of Jesus. And I have mine. But we come together and work together to make it a group effort to do that. And so one of the fears many people have is I'm going to be talking to somebody who's going to be way smarter than I am. And they're going to ask me some question I'm not going to be able to answer. Well, that's probably true. Happens to all of us. But I'm not a betting man. But if I were a betting man, I'd be willing to wager that we have people in our church who are knowledgeable in the very area that you're being asked about. And we're in it together. And so you say, you know what? I'm not sure about that. But I will find out and I'll get back to you. And then you come to one of your brothers or sisters. You're welcome to come to me. I don't have all the answers, but I'll say, I don't know. I'll get back to you on that. I've got seminary professors who know everything. And I can go to them. We can find out. We can go back. And we then, in turn, can pray for you as you go and do that. And so one of the ways you overcome the fear is to recognize you're not in this alone. You're in it with your brothers and sisters. And you call them into praying for you as you go into your circle, your sphere of influence to try to reach those folks with the gospel of, of Jesus. And, of course, most importantly, who is with you? The Lord is with you. Paul, fear not. I am with you. Acts chapter 18. Go ahead and preach. I have many people in this in the city. The Lord is is with you and he will bless your efforts. Some will believe. Many may not, but some will believe. 
And so we need to be emboldened, emboldened by remembering that we're not in this by ourselves. We have our brothers and sisters. We have the Lord, his spirit, the resources of his word to to help us in this most important endeavor. And then we need to see that when we go and give the gospel to folks, it is not a confrontation. That's one of the reasons that many people are afraid is because they think that what it means is I got to go and I got to say, hi, my name's Ken. If you died tonight, do you know what would happen to you? And they go, get out of my face. And so you just sort of cold turkey start in with this confrontational thing. Well, that's not what the Bible is, is, uh, is telling us to do. It is telling us to have relationships with people. Sometimes we call them redemptive relationships, relationships with a purpose to try to see people brought to the Lord. And in the course of those relationships, in natural conversation, we seek to plant seeds of the gospel in the life of that person, praying that the Holy Spirit will move on them such that those seeds will be brought to fruition. As God works in their circumstances, as God works for them to see you and the different approach you take to life's difficulties in relationship with this other individual, there may come a time where they come and ask you, what's your deal? How do you handle these pressures the way you do? And you're able to tell them it's about Jesus. Or they may come to you because they're having a problem with their teenager or a relationship with their, their relationship with their spouse or they've got a health problem or whatever it is, and you're able to plant the seed of the gospel to to that individual. And so you're living that way in natural conversation with them, and we said in the series this. We said that what you're attempting to do is in the context of conversation, bring in the components of the gospel with your contacts. And I tried to use C's so that you could sort of remember it. So in the in conversation, you bring in the components of the gospel conversation components with your contacts. Now, how do you do that? Well, just in the course of chatting it up with people at work, with your neighbor, you talk about things that you have in common, don't you? You have a lot of things in common. You both think your boss is an idiot, for instance. We have that in common. We complain about we complain about our job. Well, as we're complaining about our job and we're complaining about the fact that we don't make enough money. And if you have a job, you've done this. And, or, and you've certainly been tempted to do it. I know all about it. I worked I worked for a living before I became a pastor. Anyway, you're supposed to laugh at that. But, but most people think pastors work one day a week. But I worked for 20 years in the workaday world. I know how that goes. We all think our boss is an idiot. We all know that we should be paid twice as much as we're being paid right now. And so we complain about it. Now, that's a time where you can, without being confrontational, in conversation, bring in the components of the gospel with this contact. And how would you do that? Well, you would first be honest about it. and You would say, you know, I struggle with this thing, too. I struggle with some of the decisions that are made. I struggle with what they're telling me to do. Truth of the matter is, I wish I made, I made more money. You can even say, I should make more money. But then say, this is, this is what helps me. It helps me to remember that God owns everything. It's all his money. And then you shut up after that. You don't preach a whole message. You just say that. You know, God, I just have to remind myself, God owns everything. And so in a conversation now, 
With your contact, you're bringing in, planting a seed with a component of the gospel. Now, what are those components of the gospel? The components of the gospel are four, and we've gone over them over the last few weeks, but I'll remind you quickly, four. The components of the gospel are these, who God is. It starts there. And the Bible teaches that every person with whom you will come in contact has some awareness of God, even if they deny that, even if they write a book as an atheist. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And a fool is not someone who is ignorant. A fool is someone who has access to the information but refuses to use it. That's a fool. And so the Bible teaches that every person that you will come in contact with, no matter who they are, has some awareness of God. And so the first component is who God is. And so you're on common ground with them when you interject that component of the gospel by saying, I try to remind myself, God owns it all. And your friend may never think about that, but you just planted a seed to try to throw some water on it to have them think about their relationship with God and his relationship to his world. He owns everything. So the first component is who God is. The second component is who we are in relation to this God. And what does the Bible teach about that? Well, that we are creatures. We were created. He's the creator. We're the creature. So we're subordinate to him. But we are also separated from him by by sin. That's what the Bible teaches. So there's who God is and who we are in relation to this God. And how does that show up in these common areas of conversation? Like, my boss is an idiot and I don't get paid enough money. Well, you can plant the seed on that first component, who God is. I just try to remind myself that, that God's in control of it all. And then the second component, you know, I'm in rebellion against this God. I, I've got a sin problem. We all do. So the second component is who we are in relation to this God. And how would you say that with regard to how much money you make? Well, you could say a lot of things, but again, you could say something like, you know, I have to admit that I do a lot of stupid things with my money. You know, I have to remind myself that God owns it all. And here's me in relationship to this God. I'm a sinner who doesn't always follow God's advice or God's commands. And as a result... I often do really stupid things because I forget that God owns it all. I spend my money on stuff that, you know, when I look back on it, I really don't need to. I don't need to spend it on because I forget he owns it and I'm really just managing it for him. And if I remembered that and I pursued my money that way, I would use it differently. Now, what's that a confession of? That's a confession of sin. But you've said it in a way that you're identifying with the person you're talking to. You're not holier than thou. And you're admitting that that's what you do. So what are the components of the gospel? Who God is, who we are in relation to God. Here's the third of the four. Who Christ is. You know, thankfully, that's not all there is to it. Who God is and who we are. And we're separated from God because of our sin. And we're all running around like a bunch of idiots down here. That's, that would be, if that were the end of the story, we're in big trouble, right? But the story continues that God has endeavored to do something about this broken relationship that we have with him. And he has done that through Jesus Christ, who Christ is. And who is he? He's God. He's God. Having come as man, he is the unique person who is both God and man in one person. Nobody ever liked Jesus. Nobody. 
And because he's both God and man, the first two components are who God is. The second component is who we are in relation to this God. And now the third one is who Christ is. And because he's both God and man, he can be the bridge between the two. And so we said throughout the series, Jesus is the bridge between people and God. And evangelism means you're the bridge between those people and Jesus. And so the third component of the gospel is who Christ is. Well, what does Christ do about you spending your money in stupid ways? How does he fit into that issue? You try to remind yourself that God owns it all. You try to admit to your friend that you do stupid and sinful things with it because you forget it's his. But what what does Christ do with that? Well, what Jesus has done profoundly changes your perspective on everything, including your kids, your spouse, your money, everything. He gives you a different view of the world. He changes your world view. How does he he do that? Well, Jesus, God, came as man to die on the cross for your sin. Well, you know, just that the profundity of that thought, you know, in the next 30 seconds, I'm not going to be able to plumb the depths of that. But you just just think about that. God came to die for you. Well, that has profound effects when you think about it, then, because my sin must be so serious that it that it required God to come and do something about it. And so this thing that I think is not a big deal, you know, I just really do stupid stuff with my money. I yell at my kids. I you know, get mad and I haul off and smack my kid. I hope you don't, but, you know, let's be honest. You know, whatever it is, it's not just a small deal. It's a huge deal. So now I have a different perspective on these issues that come up in life because of what Christ has done. What has Christ done? He's come. God has come as man. He's died on the cross for my sin. And it shows me the seriousness of what otherwise I just sort of blow off. And so it changes my perspective on everything. Well, now I need to I need to follow what this God says. If sin is that serious that he had to come and give his life for it as payment for it, then I have got to see what it is and what he says to do about it. And he wrote a book. What a cool thing. So there's who God is and there's who we are in relation to this God. And there's there's who Christ is. And the fourth thing is what Christ has done about it. Died on the cross, paid the penalty in full for your sin and my sin. And so to help the faint hearted do this thing called evangelism, we need our courage bucked up. One of the ways we do that is understand you're not a lone ranger. You have the resources that God has supplied in his word, his Holy Spirit, his people, his presence is with you. We also understand that it's not confrontation, it's conversation. As you relate the stuff they go through with the stuff you go through. Conversation. And you give the components of the gospel, the four I've given, to your context. And you can engage in evangelism without being as fearful as you normally are. Okay? Now, we're in this together, I said, and that's our final thing. And David's going to come for a few few minutes and give a uh, presentation about some things that we're trying to do together. You see, you go and you make contacts with those that God has brought in your circle of influence and you engage in the process that we've talked about these many weeks and that I've just summarized. But then we together collectively do events so that we can help you invite your friend to come and and meet other people who have come to Jesus. 
and to hopefully break down some barriers for them so that they so that who they those people they formerly thought were cult members and really weird are not quite as weird as they thought. And so we have all sorts of events to aid you in doing that because you're not in this on your own. One such event is going to occur on July 11th and we're having a men's golf outing. Now, for those of you men who say I can't golf and are getting ready to check out on this, David's going to come in just a few minutes to explain what it is and what it is we need from folks in the congregation to help make this a successful event. Okay, so if you'll give him your attention and then we'll be done and we'll start the baptism.